Thank you for listening to Whatever, I'll Watch It, a podcast bringing queer color critique to movies and TV. Each episode, me and a guest will pick a film or television series we love or love to hate, and we'll talk gender, race, sexuality, and all things representation, because TV podcasts are way too fucking white. I'm your host, Alexia, and today I'm back with a mini episode on season three of Sex Education. So if you listened to my season two episode, you know that I had a lot of issues with season two of the show. So in that review, I critique how many of the main characters like Otis, Maeve, and Eric, they all break up with their black and POC partners in order to pursue relationships with white students. I also critiqued the lack of trans representation in what was otherwise a very inclusive and queer affirming show. Like many of you, I was also skeptical about Eric entering into a relationship with Adam, who had been pretty violent and abusive and hadn't taken any steps to take accountability for that violence. Now that season three is out, I wanted to check back in about some of these critiques and see how they have shifted with the addition of new characters and storylines. I will give y'all a little spoiler now and say, I'm really impressed. It almost felt like the show writers listened to my little podcast and decided to do better. But of course, there's still some issues to unpack. So let's jump on into it. So first, in this season, we finally get to see Black characters choosing relationships with each other instead of only desiring the white characters. We'll start first with the final reveal, which is Vivian and her boyfriend Eugene. It's supposed to be a big flex and a surprise when her partner shows up in the finale, and he's older than her, he's tall, he's Black, and he is beautiful. I love that for her, and also, I think we should uplift that her partner treats her well, and that's really more important than the fact that he's very hot by universal standards. It is undeniably a come up for her after she was crushing on that mean and arrogant white boy in season two. I'm glad that sex education is showing that ambitious, nerdy, dark-skinned black women can be lovable and desirable. We so rarely get to see that on TV, even in shows with predominantly black casts. I'm looking at you, dear white people. I'm also glad the show didn't trash Viv's character and that she got a chance to redeem herself after selling out Jackson, Cal, Lily, and the rest of the school. The solidarity of her and Jackson walking off the stage together, that was beautiful. Now let's move on to Eric, who breaks up with his white partner, Adam, after kissing another queer black man in Nigeria. I absolutely love Eric's storyline in Nigeria. I loved that we got to see queers thriving and surviving, even in places where we aren't wanted. The representation pushed back against homo-nationalist storylines that say white countries and white people are more progressive. Although we've seen hints of Eric's dad's homophobia in the past, in this season, we only see Eric's mom being incredibly supportive. When she encourages him to talk about his partner with his grandma, he masks Adam's gender by using they-them pronouns, but I feel like everyone knows the truth. Eric is undeniably gay. I felt like that scene gave Eric's Nigerian family a chance to be supportive in their own way. Coming out and being super visible isn't necessarily the only or the best way to be queer, especially for a lot of people of color living both within and outside of the U.S., Side note, if this interests you, this is something Melly and I talk about in our L Word Gen Q pilot episode. So anyways, I love that we got to see Eric surrounded by black queer people and that he got a chance to visit family back in his homeland. Even though the show has added more black characters, it does seem like their town is a very white place. I can't imagine what that must feel like for Eric to be in a space where everyone looks like him and shares his same race and probably ethnicity. I love to see it. I'm also really excited about Eric's personal growth and how he recognized that a monogamous relationship with Adam just is not what he needs right now. 
Although I do wonder where he's going to find other queer people to date in their small town. It looks like there's just a little corner store, the school, the hospital, the sex positive clinic, and then lots of woods, panoramic landscapes, and expensive houses. I guess if they all have to transfer to new schools, we may get to meet some new characters and the world could get a little bit bigger. I'm all here for promiscuous and romantic sexual exploration, Eric. So before I move on to the third couple in this section, I do want to talk about Adam Groff. I can't believe this show seriously got me invested in and rooting for him. Although we need to collectively acknowledge the bar set for Adam was incredibly low. Mediocre white boys or rectangle men, as Raheem puts it, get away with a lot of shit. And sometimes we give them too much praise just for exhibiting basic kindness and humanity. That being said, the season really committed to exploring the generations of patriarchal violence in Adam's family, and they showed us how he and his father are both working hard to disrupt these patterns. They're trying to be vulnerable. They're trying to get in touch with their emotions. While that's all well and good, and I love to see Adam growing, I still would like to see him grapple more directly with the harm he has inflicted on others for literally years. He really needs to work towards accountability and restoration with the people he used to bully, alongside his journey for self-acceptance and self-love. We only got to see a couple of scenes with him and Allah this season, but the ones we got were really sweet. I hope now that he's single again, that friendship is going to get more airtime in future episodes. Now on to Cal and Jackson. I really loved this storyline, even though it was bittersweet. Their friendship felt really real. I loved the way that Cal got Jackson outside of himself, trying new things, getting in touch with his creativity and his goofy side, learning to challenge social norms, and to just generally be more of an autonomous person. I love that Jackson was immediately in solidarity with Cal as they navigated Hope's bullshit, anti-black, and transphobic harassment, which, trust me, we will unpack in a minute. But I was so pissed at Jackson when he kept immediately reaching for Cal's chest when they were kissing. It didn't even happen once, he did it twice. With all the essential lessons in sex education the show is giving, they could have done more to highlight the need for consent in that scene, as well as communicating with your partner about their boundaries, likes, and preferences. While this is a good practice for everyone, it's especially vital for Jackson as a cis person dating someone who is trans and non-binary. I can't hold Jackson's ignorance against him, though, because like Cal says, he's a little cishet boy and this is all very new for him. I also don't blame Cal for not doing all the educating on the spot and immediately advocating for themselves. Like they said, they're young, they're still figuring things out. Plus, it's not fair to always put the burden of education on trans people. I do think this could have been a great place for Jackson to check in with Viv and to get some feedback about how to navigate this relationship better. It's too bad that they were in conflict for most of this season. But now that we're here, let's talk about Cal and Hope. This storyline was hard to watch, but it felt so important. When Cal refuses to wear a skirt, Hope responds, I'm a feminist, I get it, you can wear pants. Hope is really emblematic of second wave white feminism. In one scene, we see her doing her Superman stance to help others perceive her as powerful. This type of lean-in feminism puts the onus of equality onto women and teaches individuals to fight for inclusion into patriarchal systems instead of just throwing the entire sexist system right in the trash. Hope intensely polices the sexual acts and self-expression of the students and enforces gender norms and white professionalism. In a time when we are seeing increased attacks against trans people at the hands of so-called feminists across the globe, and especially in the UK where this show is based, I'm really glad they address these dynamics head on. I think it was especially smart that they included two non-binary characters to act as foils for one another. So Cal, as the black mask-presenting person, isn't comfortable with form-fitting clothing and is constantly being harassed and disciplined for it. 
The other non-binary character, Layla, is a white person whose presentation is a bit more androgynous. They wear the uniform the way Hope wants them to and is pitted against Cal because of it. So Cal calls out this behavior, saying that Hope is enforcing who is the right and wrong type of non-binary. I love this exploration they made between acceptable and unacceptable types of transness, and I just wish they had been more explicit about how these categories are racialized. Cal's blackness no doubt informed the treatment they received from Hope. We should all know by now that black students are disciplined and suspended at higher rates than all other students. This isn't because black kids are more likely to act out, it's because they are more likely to be surveilled and punished. Getting kicked out of school has especially harsh consequences for black kids who are trans and gender nonconforming. For example, juvenile detention facilities are places where youth must reform and learn social rules before they'll be allowed to leave, which means longer sentences for trans and gender nonconforming youth if they don't comply with gendered expectations. The show hints at all of these dynamics, but I wish it had been named more clearly. I wish someone would have told Hope that her policies were transphobic and that her harassment of Cal was anti-black. I wish during the students' big celebration of their sexualities and their quirks and the acceptance of their bodies that they would have denounced the very specific and targeted harassment that Cal as a black trans person had been facing. Cal is a wonderful character, but even if they weren't, they still would have earned that type of solidarity. When they help Layla with their binder and say, I'm so proud of you, my heart exploded. Now for the white couples. I guess we maybe saw some growth from Otis, like he's sensitive and cares about people, whatever, but I still don't like him being paired with Maeve. I felt really good about Maeve choosing Isaac. I know I expressed some concern in season two that Isaac was potentially manipulative or abusive because it did really seem like he was trying to isolate Maeve from everyone in her life. But I think Isaac redeemed himself by admitting he erased the voicemail and by hanging out with Maeve's mom so that she would stick around and Maeve could see her. I just really ship these two together. I think Isaac matches Maeve in complexity, wit, and humor, and he's almost as mature as Maeve, although his jealous outbursts made him lose some serious points with me. The scene where they kissed and Maeve softly asked about how his body works, without assumption or judgment, was so beautiful and tender, and you know what? It was really sexy too. I cried throughout that entire scene. It was so beautifully done and intimate. And then Isaac fucks it up by getting all jealous with Otis when Maeve is in the middle of a family crisis. That scene pissed me off so badly. It really made me feel like neither of them are good enough for her. I was shocked when Maeve tried to apologize to Isaac after and he was acting mad at her. What? And then to pair Maeve and Otis back together after all of that? No, no, no. I do not like it. I do not want it. Now that Maeve is living with Anna, which I love for her, I worry how frequently we will see Isaac. At least Maeve is running off to the U.S. where I hope she will meet some queer feminists and be converted so we don't have to see her with Otis, the giant man-child, when she returns. I guess we can move on to white couple number two, Jean and Jacob. I generally don't enjoy pregnancy storylines on television, especially when pregnancy is used as a source of humor. I'm grateful they didn't make a ton of jokes about it except for Jean being gassy. I definitely think Jean and Jacob fucked up by rushing to live together and getting their children all involved. Jacob is fine as fuck, they make a sexy-ass couple, but it seems like he's just kind of a typical man of that era into traditional and patriarchal ways of doing things. Even though he has tattoos, he's not actually that edgy. I don't love it, but also he is very sweet and tender with Ola, and he was very kind to Otis when he was worried about losing his mom. So maybe he'll be redeemed. 
I don't have a ton to say about those two or about Jean's health scare at the end, except that Eric chasing the man away from the vending machine when Otis was crying was everything. Eric is perfect and I love him. But earlier in the season, we once again see Jean break all the important ethical rules of her profession by telling Otis what Amy talked about in her session. Wildly inappropriate and illegal, and I'm glad Otis called her out on it, even though he could have handled it better, as always. And then, sweet Amy. I am so glad she got out of her relationship and is going to give herself the time and space that she needs to heal and to just be with herself. I'm so glad she's getting into therapy and opening up about her experiences. I love her and Maeve mothering each other and that she reminded Maeve that Otis is absolutely not worth giving up any opportunity. I love that she has the sweetest voice and face and that they give her all of these disgusting poop jokes and she kills it and makes it charming. Her acting chops really remind me of Emma Caulfield who plays Anya on Buffy. She's just absolutely amazing at comedic timing and delivery and making it all seem so authentic and unscripted. My only critique for her is that goddamn goat. Amy, you cannot let your goat shit all over people's houses and eat their things. You're a sweet, beautiful angel, but my God, there has got to be some limits. So now for our interracial couple, Ola and Lily. I didn't really feel like they did much with these characters. I was really upset with Lily for not being more present and empathetic as Ola was sitting with her grief, but I am glad that Ola confronted her about it at least. I also felt like Lily was intentionally misunderstanding Ola during their fight on the bus, acting like Ola was saying things she wasn't actually saying. I get that she was feeling intensely vulnerable, and it was really sad to see her grappling with shame, but the way she showed up throughout this season made me lose some respect for her. Personally, I'm not super invested in their romantic relationship either way. I guess I'm glad Ola isn't dealing with a breakup while also grieving and adapting to a new living situation and baby sibling, but I do hope Lily treats her better in season four. Now for our single baby, Rahim. That poop storyline was so incredibly disrespectful. I hated that they made that happen to him, but I guess since he's always so polished and mature and reserved, they wanted to show him as human and flawed and vulnerable. I'm here for him and Adam developing a friendship as gay students in a predominantly straight school, but I really don't want to see this become romantic. They would be an even weirder pairing than Adam and Eric. Overall, Raheem's character just kind of feels underdeveloped and boring, but his best line by far was calling Adam a rectangle man and unremarkable. That was 100% correct. And then newly single, sweet baby Ruby. I am here for the mean girl with layers, a la Cordelia Chase. She really grew on me and I was screaming when she was the one to take down Hope at the end. Although I'm pretty sure one of them would have been arrested because of that. I'm sorry Otis broke her heart and I hope she finds someone to love and accept her and wear matching outfits with her and also carry her purses. All right, y'all. Overall, I thought this was an incredible series of television packed with character development and important storylines highlighting very real issues that teens deal with today. I'm so glad gay youth watching this show will learn about medications that stop transmission of HIV, that teenagers may be empowered to insist their partners wear condoms, and that survivors of abuse and assault can be reminded that it absolutely is not their fault. I'm really excited to see what season four has in store. If you enjoyed the episode, please take a minute to subscribe to the podcast and rate and review it. It really helps other queers of color find us, and it lets me know that you enjoy the time and labor that I put into this shit. 
I'm super lazy fam about my approach to social media, but if you want to see my occasional post, you can follow me at whatevertvpod on Instagram and Twitter. You can also send me an email at whatevertvpod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and until next time, take care.